You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me yet again, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Glad to be with you, Kyla. I was just sitting here as the computer was uh, updating uh, the antiviral software, and I was looking at your TikToks. You got a lot of TikToks there, lots of people looking at your TikToks. Well, I mean, compared to, like, TikTok influencers, there are not a lot of people looking at my TikToks. But interestingly, I don't post a lot on TikTok. I haven't been on TikTok for long. I'm usually behind the curve on the trends. But for whatever reason, my TikToks get way more views and comments than my Instagram. I'm surprised. I I mean, there's a lot of people watching TikTok. I have a a TikTok app on my phone. I don't have a TikTok account, so I'm a TikTok lurker. Um, And, uh, you know, I have to search yours because I can't bookmark it. But there it is, Kyla Lee Lawyer. I find it every time. Yeah. Anyway, you've got lots uh, lots of stuff going on on TikTok there. I've got about twice as many followers as on Instagram. So if you're on TikTok, give me a follow on TikTok. What you don't get on TikTok is the content that I post on the other platforms. Like I, you know, I, I, there are videos that I do, like Supreme Court of Canada videos. You'll get those on Insta. You'll get those on YouTube. You'll get those on Twitter. But TikTok, there's often just TikTok. Why not post the Supreme Court of Canada ones, the uh, your video <laughs> series not, on there? That's not what the TikTok audience cares about. No? you got to point you know, at boxes and you got to lean down at the camera first and then put one arm over your chest and then lean back and dance? I guess. That's I what, don't dance. That's what I see on TikTok. If I get a million followers, followers on TikTok, I'll post a TikTok dance. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's a long um, way away. That's a long yeah. way away. Yeah. Yeah. Only uh, 999,000 whatever a lot whatever yeah a lot so what um up? well uh there's lots up but mostly what we're going to talk about today is police behaving badly oh okay yeah. all right well, tell we, me tell we, me what what are we discussing because this is remembrance annual, day and i was working today so yeah me too um but the annual report of all the stuff that the office of the police complaints commissioner had to deal with this year came out. And of course, it's all anonymized, so we don't know who the officers were that were behaving badly. But we get a a sense of what officers were found to have done constituted misconduct under the Police Act and resulted in sanctions. I noticed the first story that came out spoke of police officers with uh, drinking driving cases. Yes, and we're going to talk about that. But first, I want to talk about one very interesting case. And this is a one-off. It wasn't a systemic issue, but there's a lot to talk about here. So this is a Saanich police officer. He has since retired, um, probably to avoid actual sanctions as a result of this, but they still made the decisions on the disciplinary issues. He was in charge of the drug recognition evaluation program. And so he would do the recertification for the DRE officers. So what happens when you get certified, of course, as a DRE, a drug recognition evaluator, is your certification only lasts for, I think it's two years. 
And then at the end of the two years, you have to take a recertification exam to show that you're still qualified. Yeah. Yeah, demonstrate your proficiency, show that you're still qualified to be able to do it. And um, then if you fail that exam, you are no longer a DRE officer. What so happens if you fail, I wonder? Do they send you back for to be retrained and do the exam again? Or do you get to redo the exam? Or do you get to just restudy and then do it again? I think you restudy and do it again. And if you still fuck it up, then you have to be retrained. Hmm. Should Grant FOI that. One. Should FOI Grant, that. Grant knows because he used to do the recertification for the Intox ECIR2 operators. Oh, okay. But is yeah. it the same? Is it the same recertification? I believe so. Huh. Okay. Got to be a harder so, exam in any event, but go ahead. Well, yeah. I mean, there's 12 steps to the DRE. There you go. <laughs> some of them are repeating the same steps, and some of them are talking to the officer and talking to the accused, but, you know. And, and, grope, and grope, groping the accused. And grope, yeah. Right. Um, and, like, they're also not that hard to perform. It's surprising to me that officers would fail it, but apparently several officers failed the recertification like this was becoming an issue and so the officer decided oh i'll solve this problem the easy way that is i will say that they passed even though they didn't oh my goodness yeah so he was like literally lying and recertifying these officers who did not pass the exam and should not have been recertified um he uh he was passing them and then sending them out on the road as though, like, it was no big deal, even though they had not passed and presumably were out there not administering the test correctly. And somehow this got discovered, and I'm not entirely sure how. I suspect it was probably through some type of a disclosure request in a criminal case, um, but it's not clear. Um, and when it was discovered, there was an investigation, and of course, as the investigation unfolded, the officer retired, so he didn't have to participate in it. And the investigation concluded and ultimately found that the guy was guilty of like 13 counts of deceit or something crazy like that. Oh my gosh. What, what, what detachment was this? Saanich? Saanich. Wow. You know, you know, there are Saanich officers who listen to this podcast. I, what? I'm, I'm sure there are. Uh, the most disturbing thing about that is that um, the officers you would think would have known and mm-hmm. the Saanich police didn't go public with it when they figured it out? Why didn't they go public nope. with it? So people would know. So people could could obtain the disclosure to defend themselves if they were, you know, dealt with by one of these officers who wasn't yeah. properly certified or this officer who certified these people. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, talk about throw the confidence of the police uh, into into complete disrepute it's it's absolutely shocking i saw the headline i didn't see the story so this is what happened this is what happened so i have a couple big questions about this obviously the same question as you why didn't they go public about this why is this buried in the annual report from the police complaints commissioner why did the senate police not go we discovered something rotten in our department We've identified it. We've taken steps to ensure that it's not going to happen again. The officer is no longer on duty. And we're in the process of reviewing every drug recognition evaluation that was done by the officers who were not, in fact, properly certified at the time and advising Crown Council as such. They should have gone further than that. They should have said immediately when they found it out before they started their further investigation into each different case. 
They should have come out and said, look, we found this. We're investigating it further. Um, you know, any, any drug recognition evaluation cases are being put on hold and then come out and given a report. This is just like, you know, it's so shocking. We in this country have this arrogant, and, and the justice system is just as at fault, and, but the public too, this arrogant police uh, belief that the police in Canada are just doing it right. You know, we just have this arrogant belief that the labs are doing it right. We have this arrogant belief that, they, that the police are properly trained and doing it correctly. And we just, you know, blithely, is it blithe? Blithely. Yes. Uh, travel through our world thinking to ourselves that it's okay. And yes. having this confidence is just, it, it's completely without any foundation. But like, did, did they tell Crown Council? Did a memo go to the Crown Council? Because remember, this officer who was doing the recertification is not the officer who's doing the exam. So it would have to be communicated to the examining officer that they had, in, or examined officer that they had in fact failed. And then the examined officer would have to know that that would have enough of an impact on the DRE evaluations they've done to communicate that to Crown. And then Crown would have to know, like, there's no, you know, there's no McNeil paper trail here, right? Like in a typical criminal case, if you have an officer who's found guilty of misconduct, who's been involved in the investigation, that gets disclosed. Crown reviews the misconduct uh, record, determines whether it's relevant, and then determines whether to disclose it to the defense or to state the charges or to tell the defense there's a record, but we don't think it's relevant, so we're not disclosing it, right? There's a number of options they can take. But if the officer who committed the misconduct is A, retired, and B, not involved in the investigation, does this information get permeated to Crown? And if it does, are the correct steps taken to stay all of the prosecutions that arise as a result of these DRE evaluations? How many innocent souls have pled guilty because of yeah. a DRE evaluation by an officer who was not properly certified? Well, and did they and did they that. spend their time looking at that? You know, why why weren't they not informing and notifying the public so people could start investigating themselves whether or not they were wrongly dealt with? Let's not forget that uh, the innocent souls that pled guilty may have been people who were represented by legal aid, represented by lawyers who weren't familiar with DRE, somebody who wouldn't dig into it or question it very much. Like there are so many layers to this. And, Paul, that's just dealing they with... They should be front-page news every day mm -hmm. for a month. <laughs> that's, that's just dealing with the people who are charged criminally. What about everybody who got a 90-day ADP on the basis of a drug recognition evaluation? Because, of course, you can get an ADP on that. Ever since uh, when it was the summer 2018? Was that when it was? No, summer 2019? Uh, July 2019. July 2019. So ever since then, you can get a 90-day... Administrative driving prohibition based on a uh, drug recognition evaluator's opinion, plus the results usually of some sort of test. But at the yeah. you know the results of the test tell you so little. It's the drug recognition evaluator's grounds that lead to it, and leading to the conclusion that you were uh, in some manner uh, impaired in your ability to drive on the basis of something that they identified. Yep. And all of those people who got ninety day ADPs. All of those people should be getting an apology and and should be in a position to sue the police department, one would think. But you know what? I bet you, I bet you dollars to donuts, not a single ADP was canceled, 
Not a single ADP was retroactively reviewed. And I bet you the superintendent of motor vehicles was never even notified. Well, I mean, I'm obviously doing got, enough. Why? It's got to be in the news. Got to be in the news so they know about that. Right. You, but, but if they haven't they been know. notified, the police are negligent there again. Yep. The, the, you know, the negligence is just like compounding when you think about the failure to go public with this. Well, I mean, that is negligent. You. That is, you know, there's a duty of care. There's, there's a breach of the duty. There's damage resulting. That's negligence. This is the problem with these administrative schemes too, right? Where you have a, a, a administrative tribunal determining whether or not a prohibition should be revoked based on a burden of proof that's thrust upon an individual who has no ability to compel or obtain disclosure, who has to do it all within a less than 21-day timeline from when it was served. Oh, and by the way, there's no neutral third party standing between the police, like a quasi-neutral third party standing between the police and the imposition of the prohibition, as there is with Crown. At least with Crown, you can have the confidence that Crown is not out to win. The Crown is not trying to uphold the the conviction or seek a conviction at all costs. And if there is something that is disclosable or problematic, Crown has a legal obligation to do something about it. But with Road Safety BC, they have no legal obligation. If you don't dispute the prohibition, the officer could send in a note that says, everything I did, I did wrong. I never should have issued this prohibition. This was a grievous error on my part. I was drunk while I did it. And if you don't dispute it within the first seven days of when you received it, sucks to be you. It's still on your record and you're still serving the consequences. Think back to when I caught the Port Moody police incorrectly calibrating their ASDs. That's a long oh time God. ago. It's a decade ago now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But instead of actually doing the right thing, uh, just revoking the prohibitions for everybody, they spent, they hired somebody to do a forensic report to try and determine how they could uphold them. Um, <laughs> they did the exact opposite of what I think they should have done, which the public would have expected them to do. Uh, they were doing it wrong. They were doing it wrong the whole time. As far as I'm concerned, they were all impugned. Um, and uh, everybody should have got an apology letter from the, mm-hmm. from the chief of the Port Moody Police and probably a check. Uh, and mm-hmm. instead, they spent their time, rather than going public with it or anything, they spent their tra- time trying to figure out how they could back them up, how they could defend it. And this yep. is just so disturbing. It is so disturbing. Yep. And here we only learn about it because the um, because of the the annual report. <laughs> oh, I'm going. I'm going to go one layer further with it, Paul. Go ahead. Think about all the 24-hour prohibitions. Yeah. Well, they 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 could be issued earlier. Uh, but yeah, a lot of times, I mean, the people are still issued the 24-hour at the end of the DRE, right? Yep. So yeah, the 24-hour driving prohibitions too. And yep. those things you can barely dispute. You can barely dispute because you have only two defenses. Defense one, you were not driving. Defense two, you didn't get a test of your physical coordination, except if they did the DRE, you did, so that defense doesn't apply. So all those people... And, you know, you think, oh, it's just 24 hours off the road. It's no significant sanction. Eh, wrong. It's on your driving record forever. Ruins people's lives. Ruins people's lives. You know, you want to be a firefighter or something like that? Forget it. Nope. Yep. Nope. Can't be a firefighter. Some border officials in the U.S. will not let you cross the border with a 24-hour for drugs on your record. Two remedial program points. 
So if you had some previous remedial program points from, say, an IRP or uh, another 24-hour, you're triggering things like the interlock. Driver, uh, the interlock and the responsible driver program. And although there are no penalty points associated with it, if you have an L or an N, you sh- really shouldn't get a 24-hour if you have an L because you should have a supervisor. But um, if you have an L or an N, it triggers an automatic prohibition on the basis of an unsatisfactory driving record, typically three to five months. It's very disturbing. On top of all of that is the stigma of having a 24-hour driving prohibition for drugs on your record. Yep. Um, it, people don't seem to understand the stigma. I don't think any any BC Supreme Court judge has ever been in the position where they've had to consider that. Obviously, the yep. uh, the point is that uh, you know they look at it as just 24 hours and that's it. Uh, it goes on your driving record and you can't get a pardon for it. It's on your driving record, and it's on there forever. Forever. Yeah, people think that, you know, oh, it'll come off after five years. No, no, no. This is the difference, and I have to explain this all the time. I explained it so much, I wrote a blog post about it, and now when my clients emailed me to ask, I just linked my blog post because I've explained it so much. I'm so tired of it. Um, But there is a difference between your driving record and your driver's abstract. I like to think of it as, like, your driver's abstract is like a Polaroid. You can see a very short period of time in which... Some things happened five years. Your driver's record is everything. I got a ticket when I was 16. That's on my driving record. I won the other ticket when I was 16, so that's not. <laughs> you know, that, and it goes all the way back. I've seen driving records dating back to the 1970s. Yep, 1974 is the oldest that I remember. Yep. <sighs> I mean, it's always nice in court when you're like, well, yes. Your Honor, she does have a lengthy driving record, but as you can see, most of the offenses are from before I was born. Yep, 1982. She well, That was a bad year for her. She got three tickets then, but she yep. hasn't had anything in the last 10 years, but the prosecutor's handing it up. Uh, but yeah, that 24-hour driving prohibition for drugs, I mean, uh, yeah, what has the damage been to people? It's Well, this, is, this potentially is like multi-million dollars in damages. Well, one would think, but people have to, people have to take action. People have to do something, you know, pick up the phone and phone Eric McGracken if you got one of these. Um, What? I was going to say, maybe we should start a class action. You want to do it? Against the officer or against the police department. Well, I mean, let's do it. (laughs) Willing to consider it. Let's investigate it. Let's make some FOIs about this too. I just cannot believe that, uh, I cannot believe that they, they sat on it, didn't go public with it, didn't tell anybody. Um, it, you know, it just makes it look like a, a fucking huge cover-up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. I bet if we filed the class action, they would very swiftly take steps to cancel all those 24 hours and 90-day IRP. But the question is, how many is there? I mean, there may not be that many. Right, but even no. still, yeah. even still, the precedent, right? One person loses their $120,000 a year trucking job. Oh, yeah, for sure. The future income loss on that is massive, right? Yeah. And with the um, supply chain issues, it's probably leading to uh, the entire collapse of the global economy. Great. One officer has collapsed the global economy. Great work, officer. Thanks, Sanich police. <laughs> okay. Moving on to the next police behaving badly issue. This one, I think you and I are going to feel a little more sympathetic about. Okay. Well, what is it? There were numerous police officers 
who were caught drunk driving, um, including one officer who allegedly tried to use their position as a police officer to influence the outcome of the investigation, i.e. not get in trouble for drinking and driving. Well, on our office Twitter account, we retweet all sorts of stories about police officers getting caught for impaired driving. There's one officer in Winnipeg caught twice in a couple of weeks, been officers in Saskatoon, and of course here and uh, and all across the states. And we don't do it to humiliate those officers. I do it because of the hypocrisy, because the lectures that police officers give uh, at the same time, uh, you know, sometimes it's the officers who gave those lectures who are the ones who are ultimately arrested at some point later on for impaired driving. And there may be an issue that some of the officers persuade themselves, well, I know all about it. I can drive drunk, basically, when they've had a few drinks because I'm such an <laughs> expert. And the other thing is they think that they're not likely to get caught, maybe, and maybe they think that they'll be treated differently after they've had a few drinks. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe they think that they'll they'll just be overlooked because it'll be somebody they know. Um, obviously, none of those are, are good decisions. They're all terrible decisions, particularly if you're a police officer. Uh, but I, I actually have some sympathy for them. I just don't like the hypocrisy. Um, you know, these are mistakes that people commonly make. Uh, you and I, you know, don't, uh, don't judge our clients, uh, harshly for these things. And I don't judge police officers. I don't treat them any differently. Uh, I just don't like the, uh, I don't like the, the, um, uh, hyperbolic, uh, judgmentalism of uh, of individuals who are caught drinking and driving, particularly from the police that we see so often, and that's the reason that I like to call it out. But, yeah. you know, this here we are, we've got all these police officers in BC, and again, you know, because it's IRPs, it never gets in the news. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, if it, was, then... if it was criminal impaired driving charges, they'd be facing, uh, you know, the end of their career, and they get an IRP, and they get to keep their job. Yep. Well, they get, I think the sort of trend is you get an IRP, you get suspended without pay for three days. Yeah, I know. But you you and I have seen cases, lots of cases where like, I remember one where the supervising officer uh, who was a senior officer showed up and they got somebody else to take it over and, because the supervising officer had a impaired driving thing, a IRP or something like that, the old guy. And it turns out the other old guy they called to come over also had one, so they had to find an officer who hadn't been stopped for impaired driving or convicted <laughs> of impaired driving in order to to conduct the investigation because it was something more serious and they didn't want that officer's credibility to be impugned on the basis of the fact that they had a previous impaired driving charge um, or something along that line. I, I, I'm sure you and I dealt with that, like it's about three or four years ago, but the... Um, Let's talk about the one officer, though, who is alleged to have, well, I guess was found to have attempted to use his position as a police officer to try and influence the outcome of the investigation. That's always a tough one, huh? I mean, on the one hand, it it really depends on the facts. And I know in cases where this has happened in the past, um, the standard of what they assumed was an attempt to influence the investigation was not a standard that I would have applied. Um, a police officer saying something like, yeah, I'm a member or yeah, I know, I, I know I, I'm a police officer because 
you know, the police officers pedantically lecturing them or, or going through all of the steps and explaining, over-explaining something that, you know, the person they're dealing with already knows. I, you know, I, 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 maybe it's, maybe it's really egregious. I don't know the facts, right? It could be, you know, come on, I'm a, I'm a cop. Let me go. Give me a break. I'm also <laughs> a member. And if that's the case, all right. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cause you're, you're not like being, you're, you're trying to say like you should have an, an exception the same way that if you or I were like, Oh, come on. I'm a driving lawyer. Like, give me a, give me a break. Uh, would be bad. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't know what I would say. I wouldn't want to be in that position. Don't ask I me. I wouldn't say that, <clears throat> obviously. I'm saying, but if we did, it would be bad. Yes, I mean, uh, actually, the other day I was driving, where the heck was I driving? I was driving my green truck down 7th, and um, and uh, I looked at the VPD car coming at me, and I was pretty sure I recognized that officer. And as I passed him, he put his hand out the window and I put my hand out the window. It was after he had passed. So we're looking at each other in the mirror. And I thought, you know what, there's uh, I wouldn't get treated differently. I don't think I wouldn't ask to be treated differently. And I would never mention anything along that line. But, you know, the, a police officer saying, you know, no, I understand. I'm, I'm an officer. I understand is very different from a police officer saying, come on, come on, yeah, buddy, like, give me a break. If you were alleged to be refusing and you were trying your best to blow, and there was obviously a problem with the device, and you're like, look, look, I'm an officer. You're not doing this correctly. Well, that happened to me. That happened I to know. me in, in Germany. I was pulled over, and I, I grabbed the device, and I, I fixed the, the mouthpiece, and, and anybody else would have ended up in a refusal situation, and I properly seated the mouthpiece, and then I provided a sample. And I had mentioned that I was a drunk driving lawyer, and I wasn't looking for any any special treatment. I just wanted to be able to provide the sample. I wanted them to understand why I was, I was fixing their device for them. Yep. So I guess in that circumstance, I did, I did do it, but not looking for any advantage, right? Well, I mean, I wonder what this officer actually said. I mean, I guess that's what it comes down to, but I know in cases where this has been alleged before, the comment to me did not seem to be made to seek an advantage. It was made just to allow an understanding, I guess. No? Sure. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I don't know the details, but the, you know. Yeah. It's a very high standard they're held against, is my point. It is, it is a high standard. Um... Anyway, well, that's interesting. So we've got uh, we've got uh, an officer who was um, recertifying people who failed, and then we had a bunch of police officers who were investigated and issued driving prohibitions for drinking and driving, and one who purportedly and has found now to be have is found to have attempted to use their position as a police officer to influence the investigation. Mm-hmm. And that's just. The first report that comes from the annual, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of sad that the media only get it at this point, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, it is sad. Yeah. You'd think that they'd be able to get that through FOIs, but it seems like the provincial government is doing everything they can to shut down the whole FOI system, so. And since we're on the topic of 
police behaving badly. I thought that we would have a the ridiculous driver of the week. The ridiculous driver of the week. But also came out of this report. Okay, let's hear it. <laughs> this one you're going to laugh at because it's like, why? Um, so this is a West Vancouver police officer um, who was actually cleared of misconduct, but the OPCC was asked to investigate um, because this, this West Vancouver officer listed uh, their police department's address on their driver's license and car insurance papers instead of their home address. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Seriously? And the only reason, and the only reason it got discovered <laughs> wait a minute, was because the Vancouver Police Department. How do we know he wasn't sleeping in, uh, in well, a locker room in the basement? Yeah, very strange. I want to um, know who it is. I want to know who that was. Hmm. Yeah, I do too. Like, Quite what, curious. What, what prompted it? Like, did you just not want the mail going to your house? Because, like, you spend so much time at work, you never check the mail. Was your car insurance cheaper in West Vancouver? Yeah, maybe, probably. Yeah, who would have thought, who would have ever persuaded themselves that that was a good thing to do? Yeah, but apparently West Vancouver police never had a policy of, like, saying you can't use the department's address. Oh, they don't need a policy. That's bullshit. They do need a policy. It's government. They need a policy for everything. Oh, my gosh. Was he forgiven because he there wasn't yeah. a policy? Practically, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's, now, what is this world coming to? Yeah, there was no... Uh, officials noted there was no policy stopping an officer from putting the police headquarters as their home address. Oh, so fucking what? You just don't Except do it. You, you can't lie to ICBC. Like, I've got the office address. Oh, actually, i got to change that. Um, I've got the office address on my insurance um, because my car... I, I insure the car um, as a business car and I put the office address because that's where I conduct my business. Yeah. But on my driver's license, I have my home address. Exactly. Anyway, I think it's uh, important to note we get to the uh, close of the podcast here. That is a great ridiculous driver. People should know that the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner in BC only deals with what are municipal police forces in British Columbia. So none of the RCMP detachments are covered. So this is just what they found uh, their report for municipal detachments. And there's not that many municipal detachments. Saanich, West Vancouver, Port Moody, um, New Westminster, Nelson, BC, and, and a few Delta. others, Vancouver, uh, Central Victoria, Saanich. Central Saanich, Delta, yeah. Um, but um, a lot of them are RCMP, uh, uh, policed by the RCMP, and are therefore not um, not governed by this legislation or the Office of the Police Complaints Commissioner. So we don't know what happened with the RCMP, but if there's more RCMP officers in the province than there are uh, municipal officers, and I suspect there probably are, uh, you know, by several fold, um, you can imagine that this is going, uh, these things happen. And, and this is just a small soon, bit. <laughs> soon to be the... Soon to be the Surrey, Surrey Police Force, yes. Yep. So they will uh, they will be governed by this legislation too. 
and the RCMP, I don't know how they come clean with their stuff if they do. Um, I know it's a, it's a completely different investigation. Have to have Grant Gokotro on. He could probably tell you all about it. Well, he was at West Vancouver Police. Yeah, but he, he knows, oh, he knows the RCMP. Police. I listed them. Did you? Yeah. Did you? Yeah, I did. I did. Absolutely, I did. Um, anyway, so there you go. Good podcast. Yeah. If you need to reach us, give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.